size. It would be easy to say that we have all gone through tough times. Uh, we've all asked questions. Why me? Why God? And it's tough enough to deal with the calamity and what adds to the problem is not being able to understand why it's happening. And so in our misunderstanding, in our limited understanding, we come with confusion. And that creates anxiety and, and, and worry. And so we've asked the question before, if we were honest, why me? Why God? Today we, uh, we address the issue of letting down. And, and last week, you'll remember, we talked about how do we respond as followers of Jesus when others let us down. And what we decided was this, that people are going to let us down. And so we shouldn't think otherwise. Oh, I mean, we should have idealism. And we should hold out hope for people. But the reality is they are a broken human being. And we are too. And we're going to let people down. And so what we came out last week with was a couple of prayers. When people let us down, Lord, give me a thicker skin. <laughs> and the other, give me a softer heart. Let your spirit help me to understand and love that person as you've loved me. That takes something supernatural. Well, today what I want us to do is to raise that same question, but I want it to be phrased a different way. What about when we feel as though God has let us down? What do we, what do, we do when we feel like God is a no-show? When God maybe has evacuated our lives? Jennifer has a story, and I want you to know that just about every story intersects with our story. Not every story can be superimposed upon our lives, but I think there's some things that happened in her life that we can relate to. So let's listen to that story. I became extremely ill. Um, at the beginning of the year in 2006 with viral meningitis and it puts the lesions all over my brain and meninges plus the meningitis. That lasted about six weeks and then I woke up with the most fantastic and horrible pain of my life on the left side of my face. This time apparently it put a lesion on my trigeminal nerve. Trigeminal nerve is considered the most painful condition of demand. That pain lasted for months and months. My daughter was eight years old. I'm an only parent, and um, I lost my job. I was done. I was ready to just, I was ready to die. And then um, I woke up one day with a mid pain going across the back of my head, and I had lost my central vision. We went to the hospital, and ultimately I ended up having eight catastrophic strokes. It was scary. It was scary. And since then, it's just been pain ever since. I was unemployed for two years. I had just bought this home. I had cashed out all of my savings and retirement savings. I was mostly frightened. 
I didn't know what was going to happen to us, to Julia and I, and it became very scary. Even at eight years old, she was aware of the danger she was in of being without me. And I was depressed. The isolation, no understanding, everyone telling me I was going to get better, and I wasn't. I know now you can't expect people to know what to say, but there are some cutting things, just insensitive things. Bible verses. Hmm. It's such a strange thing that scripture can hurt sometimes. Sometimes we just need to sit with the person who's hurting. That's what I needed. One of the most painful things is that people, they ask me how I'm doing health-wise, but they don't want to sit still and listen to the answer. I don't blame them. It's the same thing over and over, and they want to have hope, and they should, I guess. But you know, these are people who've been around me for five years now, and they're just as tired of it as I am, and so I understand. There were times when I was crying out to God about my unemployment and the living on handouts and losing the house where I felt like God wasn't listening. It made me angry. I doubted that God was in control. I doubted that God was being loving. Um, and I wondered, is this my fault? Is this punishment? Am I reaping something that I've sown? It was hard. The most difficult part of all of this has been which really lost him, the fear that I saw into her life at such a young age was just awful to think about. That made me really angry and I didn't understand what God was doing there. I have an ongoing conversation with some Christian friends of mine about this can't be God's will for me because God doesn't cause sickness or pain because I am meant to be victorious and healed and a lot of people take that quite literally in terms of physically healed as well as spiritually and emotionally healed and I can't claim to understand what good can come from illness suffering type illness chronic illness illness that robs a portion of life from a child I don't know what the answer is to that all I know is God could take this away if you wanted to. So maybe there's a slice of her story that you can relate to. And that was her story. But what is yours? I mean, when it comes to that feeling of, I don't understand what God is doing. I felt like God wasn't listening, she said. It made me angry. I doubted that God was in control. I doubted that God was being loving. Is this punishment? Maybe we've all felt some of those things from time to time. And that was her story. But, but what is yours? What is going on in your life? Maybe you've crossed a bridge and, and you've turned around and you've looked back over that bridge and all you can see right now is disappointment. Or maybe you've been waiting and you've been praying and you've been asking God to bring you someone or something and you feel like God has gone silent. Or maybe it's an addiction and you try to shake it. Maybe you've struggled today with that same addiction that you've struggled with for over 15 years. And you're wondering, 
God left me? Has God forsaken me? Has God grown silent? Does God still work? Well, I wish I could look into your eyes and say, I have seven magical steps that you can use to get you to the place where you need to be, no matter what category that you're dealing with. But what I have found is that God is bigger than a mathematical equation. In fact, I have found that God is a mystery. And because of that, it makes it complex. It, it makes it sometimes frustrating. I, I wish I could say, pray a couple of prayers. Do some positive thinking. And, and it'll all go away. But I can't say that. But what I can do this morning is I can look in your eyes. And I can say to you that God loves you. No matter what circumstances you're moving through. God loves you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. The scripture gives us that promise. And so when it comes to this topic of letdown in the last two weeks, and specifically contending with those emotions that we have when we feel that God has let us down, what do we do with it? Well, I want us to take a look at the story that Smokey read for us. It's the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, not Joseph, the husband of Mary, the father of Jesus, but Joseph of the Old Testament. The Technicolor Dreamcoat Guy. Some of you may remember that play. And, and it's uh, a story where he is the youngest at the time of 11. He's that last born. And man, his daddy is cherishing him in his old age. In fact, he probably showed him a good bit of favoritism. He spoiled him. And because of that, Joseph realistically had some arrogance about him. I mean, he had a relationship with God, and we're grateful for that. But what he would often do is boast before his brothers. In fact, he'd say, I had a vision, and you guys are going to kneel down before me ultimately. Well, that doesn't go over well. And... And so he would brag, and, 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 and he would be a favorite of his daddy's. And, and what happened is they were done. They were done with him. And so they conspired together, these brothers of Joseph, and when they saw him walking in the desert, they said, here's our chance. And so they wrapped him up and threw him in an empty well. Some slave traders came along. And they said, look, you want a slave? We've got just your man. He's in that well, and we'll sell him to you. And so they sold their brother into slavery. And he was purchased by a wealthy man who would eventually be called Potiphar. And so here in Egypt, Potiphar has him as a slave, and he begins to see great potential in Joseph. He begins to see his giftedness. He, get, he begins to see that he's blessed by God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a promotion. A little later, he gives him another promotion. He continues. And he is so promoted that now he is living 
a life that is charmed. There are pools and gardens, and he's eating filet mignon and drinking wine. He's living the fabulous life of Joseph. After having been sold into slavery. But something happens. Potiphar's wife, the one he was a slave to, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and said, Man, you are hot. And I don't know if she had been watching one too many episodes of Desperate Housewives or what, but Potiphar's wife said, I want to sleep with you. And Joseph, in his purity, said, I will not sin against you, nor my master Potiphar, nor God. And she said, come here. And one day when he was walking near her, she grabbed him up. He pulled away. She ripped off his shirt. And in spite, because he would not be compliant, she raised up his shirt and said, he tried to rape me. Just to get it. Immediately. They pounced on him, frisked him, cuffed him, threw him in jail. In modern terms. And he's in the dungeon. And, and if I were him, I would have thought, I have been forgotten. But there are those around him who begin to have dreams, and he's able to interpret dreams and a new leader comes into office in Egypt and says, I've had these dreams. I need someone to interpret these dreams. And somebody says, you know, we have one that's in prison. In fact, his name is Joseph. And he's from Goshen. And he was brought here. Well, go get him. Now, I don't know about you, but there are those moments, and I bet Joseph felt it. Where in the world is God? And then you hear this mysterious story. He is then brought before the new overseer of Egypt and says, I understand you're having dreams. He said, yes, I am. He says, well, tell, tell me those dreams and and he began to say the seven-seven-year dream. And what it was, the leader of Egypt had a dream of seven years and then another seven. And Joseph said, you know, I, I, I got this. I, I, I realize what this is. You're going to have seven years in Egypt of bling-bling. You're going to have wealth. You're going to have resources. You're going to have finances. You're going to have overflowing stock. But then you need to know that there will be seven years of ghetto living. There's going to be famine. And you're going to need to stockpile because there is going to be a great famine. And it will affect all regions. Now think about this for a minute. I want you to look at Genesis 39 with me. Because while he was in the dungeon, I really believe that he was probably calling out to God, wondering where God was. And some around him may even said, your God has forgotten you. But look at this. It says here in the passage, 39, 20 through 23, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. 
The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Get this. While he was in prison, when others and even himself was asking, where is God? This answers the question. While in prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord had not forsaken him. You see, often we, we equate pain And we equate suffering, injustice, even by other human beings, with the absence of God. Oh, if we could see how suffering can be used by God. So many of us think that if God is uh, really with us, we have all the money we ever needed. Our, our checking account would be flush. Our savings account would be flush. And uh, all of our bills would be paid very easily. And there would be no financial problems. We've heard some bad theology about that. Or relationships. If our marriage struggles, is God working in that? And I want to say, yes, God can work through struggles in a relationship. In fact, God wants us to move through those struggles to be stronger on the other side. And so most often, God doesn't take our pain away. Instead, here's what he does. He enters into that pain. God was with Joseph while he was in prison. He heads right into it. God moves in our abandonment and feelings of abandonment. God moves in our feelings of injustice and false accusations. God moves into the prison setting of our lives, whatever that is, whatever we feel trapped in. And so answering the question, what do we do when we feel that God has let us down? Remember that God enters the pain in that moment of letdown. Maybe you've been a victim, a victim of gossip, or you're struggling with physical limitations. And there's a lot of pain and there's a, there's a feeling of disappointment. And it may seem like God is silent, that God is not there. But Hebrews 13 says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so God enters into our pain. God was with Joseph in the midst of that dungeon and incarceration. And so while his circumstances changed, God never evacuated. He was there all the time. And so he, he dissects this. He interprets this, this dream of seven good years and seven bad years. And he helps the whole region and the nation of the kingdom of Egypt to be prepared for famine. And this Egyptian leader was wise. He said, you know what? You've interpreted this dream. You've been so helpful. So as we move towards that famine, I want you to be in charge. I mean, he moved from being a nobody in a dungeon to Joseph Trump. He was elevated. He was in charge of everything. And one day, as he was overseeing people coming from all regions to Egypt because they had been blessed by the fact that they knew there would be a famine, he recognizes some people standing in the grain line. 
And he says, wow, that person looks familiar. And the person behind him looks familiar. And the person behind him looks familiar. And then it dawns on him. These are my brothers. And they did not recognize him. And he came up to them. And he wanted to find out more. He asked some questions of others who knew who they were. And so he walked up to him and said, where are you from? Well, we're from Goshen. Do you have a father? Because he had missed his father. Oh, yes. Is he still alive? Yes, he is. Do you have any brothers? Yes, we have one at home. Do you have any other brothers? Well, we had one other, but he was eaten by wolves. <laughs> oh, so that's the word on the street. And he looked upon his brothers, and he was moved, and he said, I've got to go to my chambers. And he went to his chamber, and he wept. And it was a moment that would forever change him and his brothers and history because he was willing to forgive even in his pain even in those moments where he felt as though maybe God had checked out on him and these brothers had sold him as a slave humiliated and he comes back to them. And he reveals who he is. Can you imagine that moment? Uh-oh. You know, this is not good. And, and, and so he recognizes his brothers. They recognize him. And they begin to plead for mercy. Verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they say. Have mercy on us. Then something critical happens. But Joseph said to them, get this. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? What you meant, one translation says, what you meant for evil, God has used for good. God has, has saved this entire region because of what you did. And it's okay. Don't be afraid. I can't judge you. What you meant as evil, what you did toward me, God has used for good. Isn't that wonderful? Because that says that all along, regardless of the circumstances, whether they be good and, and, and positive, whether they be negative and painful, God was there all along working out his purpose in the life of Joseph. When he may have been asking, God, where in the world did you go? God was working, Romans 8, 28, Paul helped me here. Paul helps me with this. Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good. Not everything works out good. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Oh my goodness. 
And so for those brothers, they saw a master plan. But I believe that Joseph was grateful to God at that moment. God, you've used all of this. What a mystery you are. You have outwitted me. Somehow in the good and the bad, you've brought about your purposes. So I want you to hear me. When it comes to responding to the question, how is it that we deal with those emotions where we feel as though God has let us down, we need to remember that God enters the pain and He brings about purpose through the pain. I, I remember when I was younger in the ministry and I was going through a, a challenging time and, and I remember just just battling through it and I, and I was thinking, God, did you really call me into this thing called ministry? And, and where are you in this? Things seem to be going south. What's your deal? And, and I remember I had a mentor figure that was helpful for me and I poured my heart out to him. That's important. And as, because as we express, we avoid depression and so as we express ourselves unto the Lord and as we express ourselves to others that we can trust, I just laid my heart out there and he said, Tim, I believe that God is using this in your life and he's preparing you for something greater. I believe he's preparing you for something else. And the only way that you'll be ready is if you move through this. That was dawning don't revelation. I mean, think about it. Think about it. We were talking about how um, Jacob and Zoe <laughs> came out as, as twins. And, and, and as they were in that gestation period, as all of us were, uh, do you remember that? I, I don't know. But all of us were. And, and there were some things that were going on that and on the face of it, it doesn't make any sense. Right? Why would God use those moments and, and create fingernails in the womb? How would we ever use fingernails in the womb? We didn't need a nose. We had an umbilical cord. Why the formation of a nose? There's a reason. God was using that gestation period and the formation of all of that to prepare us for this life. And there are seasons in our lives where we're going through things and we don't understand why and God is forming in us the character and the perseverance and the fortitude that we're going to need for the next chapter. And so we can have hope in that. We can celebrate that. And so when we're anguishing and we're, we're crying out to God and pouring our lives out to those that we can trust, we can know that He who began a good work in us is bringing it to full completion. And He can be trusted. And He hasn't let us down. He is building us up. You know somebody today that feels as though God has left them. Share with them that God has not 
let them down. He has come down that he might be acquainted with all of our suffering. He has come down to give us life in a way that we would have never suspected abundantly. Let's pray again. God, we, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that is doing a good work in us. And as moistened clay, we want to be those who are pliable in your hands. And sometimes, Lord, that is painful. That goes against our nature. We feel the resistance of your fingers as we are clay being spun on the potter's wheel. And so we ask, Lord, that you would have us see the hope before us to see the possibilities, even in the pain. Because you were able to do that. While you were on the cross, while you suffered, you saw the possibilities through the pain. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that good news, that transforming gospel that we have and that we can share.